0: You guys came to study the Bible tonight, right? All right, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. And uh, after you turn there, we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive right into it tonight. Because tonight, we need to just take a few minutes as well, before we get into it, to just give you a little bit of the historical background and purpose of 2 Timothy before we dive into chapter 1. Also, before we pray tonight, let's remember the group from our church. It's over in Africa right now, in Kenya, and uh, let's continue to pray for them and uh, other ministries here at Cornerstone as well. All right? So let's pray and dedicate this night to the Lord. God, thank you so much for, again, this opportunity we have to come here to sit in an air-conditioned building, uh, to be able to open up our Bibles and to just hear you speak to us. And God, ultimately, that's what this night is about. This is not about Jeff and what my opinions are or anything else. This is about you speaking to us through your word. So God, I just pray right off the bat that you would just sort of remove me, uh, help me not to be a hindrance in any way of what you want to do here tonight through your word, through your spirit. Help me not to quench or grieve your spirit in any way, but to just allow your spirit to work in all of our hearts tonight tonight. Encourage us, Lord, we pray, as only you can. Challenge us, Lord, we pray, as only you can. And may our study this summer just be a tremendous uh, refreshment and encouragement to us as we come out this summer. Uh, God, be with that group in Africa. We pray that you would physically, emotionally, and spiritually protect them as they are there working uh, with the orphanage. God, would you just use them to be an encouragement to Mama Zipporah, to Caroline, and to the children who are there. And God, bring them back safely. Uh, Lord, we just uh, just ask that your hand of, of blessing would be upon them. And God, be with this uh, fundraiser uh, on Sunday. We just pray that many uh, funds would be raised to help the children of the Phoenix area uh, and touch them with the love of Christ. And we thank you for the folks who run the Golden Spoon who are so willing to donate so much money uh, to this organization. And uh, God, just go with us again through this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Good group tonight. Wow. I was thinking maybe 50, 75, you know. It's summer, you know. You just never know. But we have a good group out tonight. And uh, don't forget, we've got next week... The 15th, then the 22nd, and then the 29th. Then we're going to take a couple weeks off, and then we'll start back up with the fall semester of the mind on Tuesday, August the 19th, and then we'll be studying the book of James. The book of James. All right. Let me give you some quick historical background here of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, to me, is a very powerful letter For many reasons. One, it is the last letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. I believe he knew that his time on earth was very short. And so here's a man who has faithfully served Christ for many years. And he's got one final opportunity to share his heart with this young pastor, with this young disciple, Timothy. And they have said for years that last words are lasting words, and these are the last words of the Apostle Paul that at least is recorded in Scripture. The other thing that that we have to keep in mind is as Paul is writing this letter, he is manacled to a Roman soldier. He is in prison under house arrest in Rome, and he knows that his time is running out. Therefore, one of the things that he is going to do is he is going to try to arrange for Timothy to actually physically come and meet him in Rome and spend a few days with him in Rome uh, so that they can have some last times together. In fact, if you go over to 2 Timothy chapter 4 before we dive into chapter 1. You will notice in chapter 4, verse 9, he tells Timothy, Make every effort to come to me soon, because Paul knows my time is running out, and if you don't get here soon, I'm probably going to be gone before you get here. And then down in verse 12, he tells Timothy, I am sending Tychicus to Ephesus to relieve you of your pastoral duties, because Timothy was the pastor in Ephesus so that Timothy then could come to Rome and be with Paul and have his bases covered. So Paul is wanting Timothy to come, and he is also using this letter in case Timothy doesn't get there in time for a very important reason. Part of what is on Paul's heart is that he wants to make sure that the next generation of pastors and church leaders and just Christians in general have been faithfully passed the baton of the Christian faith. Paul was never about just making sure that his own generation was going to be taken care of, but that the next generation coming behind him would have a a faithful representation of the Christian faith, a, a durable, lasting testimony of the Christian faith from which they could draw strength from as well. And one of the things that Paul had heard that sort of prompts this letter to Timothy is that Timothy was beginning to wear down in the ministry. He he was beginning to wear out, if you will. He was beginning to experience what many of us call today uh, maybe a little burnout. initially in ministry. He was about ready to give up. He was experiencing some discouragement. He was beginning to physically, emotionally, and spiritually wear down. And so the whole tenor and purpose of this letter is for Paul to encourage Timothy to hang in there. And he's going to give Timothy a lot of encouragement and a lot of motivation of why Timothy needs to hang in there. And and some of the sources of strength and whatever that Timothy needs to continue to tap into in order to hang in there. Because again, once Paul and, and the others of his generation pass off the scene, Paul was very concerned that there would be faithful ministers and faithful Christians and faithful churches who would be able to impact their generation long after Paul was gone. It has been said... That the Christian church is only one generation from extinction at any time in history. And unless we are faithful and passing on our faith to the next generation, there's going to come a time where that generation does not receive the richness that this generation was passed down to. So that's Paul's heart. That's why this letter is so passionate. It is so personal. Uh, It is so encouraging. Because the last thing Paul wants to see happen is for basically Timothy to wave the white flag and say, I'm gone, I'm out of here, I'm done. We need Timothy's. And and we need young people in our generation that we are encouraging and raising up to ministry so that when we pass off the scene, we have faithfully passed a a baton of our Christian faith on to the next generation. And that's what this letter is all about. And that's why I think the Lord even chose me to pick this letter this summer. Because a lot of you who come on Tuesday nights, you're in ministry. You're serving the Lord in some way. And ministers and servants of the Lord need to be encouraged as much as anybody does. Uh, And this letter... If you're ever getting discouraged in ministry and service for the Lord, this would be a good letter to go back to and read and reread in order to be re-encouraged and refreshed because that's exactly the purpose that Paul penned this letter for. So with all of that said, let's go back then to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and dive into some of the ways that Paul was trying to encourage Timothy with as he writes this letter. The first thing I want you to notice tonight is this. I believe that Paul is trying to remind Timothy about the relationships in his life. The people that God has placed in his life that God wants him to draw strength from. And let me just stop here and say that I believe that many times God chooses to encourage us through people. And God wants to use us to encourage others and he wants to use others to encourage us. And he wants us to get to a point in our spiritual walk with the Lord and in our maturity where even no matter what our personal circumstances are, we are not sitting, soaking, and souring in those circumstances, but we are still able to encourage others. Because let's take a step back a minute And let's again remind ourselves of where Paul was when he wrote this letter. He was manacled to a Roman soldier. He was in prison. Personally, his life was about to end. And he could have sat there and just felt sorry for himself. But instead, he had grown to such a point in his life that it wasn't just about him. It was about making sure that there were always people around him that he knew God would bring into his life that he could encourage. And things didn't always have to be glowing and going right in his life in order for him to be an encouragement to others. That's a real mark of spiritual maturity. Where we can encourage others not just when things are going right in our life, but even when things aren't going so well, that we can still be a source of encouragement. Because our encouraging others should have no dependence upon our circumstances. And the word encourage literally means to put heart into. And God wants all of us to be an encouragement to others at times and allow others to encourage us. And when we allow others to encourage us, we are simply allowing God through them to put heart into us. To keep us going. To give us courage And to encourage us to keep on keeping on. So notice what Paul says beginning in chapter 1. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to further the promise of life in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dear child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. There There was another letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy. In that letter, he basically said to Timothy, my son in the faith. Here, he wants to make sure that Timothy knows you are my dearly beloved child in the faith. You're my spiritual son, if you will. And it's not that Paul loved Timothy any more when he wrote 2 Timothy than he did 1 Timothy, but he just wanted to make sure at this point that he expressed it. Because Paul understood the importance of every once in a while verbalizing our affection for others, how dear they are to us, especially like Paul when he knew that his time was very short. There are many times over the years as a pastor doing people's funerals and memorial services that I've heard people say, I wish I would have let them know before they died how much they meant to me. And, and God is trying to remind us that when people are special to us, and, and they mean something to us, and that relationship is important to us, that we don't wait until they die to say a eulogy at the funeral, but that we make sure while they are alive that we encourage them by how special they are to us and how much they mean to us. And Paul is doing that to Timothy, my dear child. God may want you this coming week to make sure that you verbally express your appreciation to someone in your life for how much they mean to you. And you will never know what a phone call, a card, a note, even an email, some, some form of expression of that can mean to someone. And that's exactly what Paul was hoping that phrase and this letter would do with Timothy, his dear child. Notice, in fact, he says in verse 3, I'm thankful to God whom I served with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I remember you in my prayers as I do constantly day and night. Not only did Paul call Timothy my dear child, but he reminds Timothy of his continual prayers on his behalf. How encouraging is that? All of us as Christians, I believe, when we know that there's another Christian or group of Christians who are praying for us, that can be such a source of strength and encouragement to us. And we need to let people know that we are praying for them. And if we tell someone we are going to pray for them, we need to follow through with that commitment and we need to make sure that we do pray for them. And that's exactly what Paul is sharing with Timothy. Let me say at this point that because we're trying to hit one chapter a week so that we can get through the entire book in four weeks because there's four chapters, there's no way I'm attempting to hit everything that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 4. What my focus is going to be on in the next four weeks is to hit what I consider to be the highlights of each chapter, and hopefully my goal and my prayer is to whet your appetite So that you will go home and you will read 2 Timothy and you will study 2 Timothy for yourself and be able to, no pun intended, mine out of 2 Timothy uh, a lot more than what I was able to share with you here on Tuesday night. So you're not going to see me touch on every aspect of this, but I do want to hit the highlights. And the first highlight that God impressed me with here was the importance of relationships. And how the right people in our life can truly be an unbelievable source of encouragement. An unending source of encouragement to us. In fact, you'll notice that Paul reminds Timothy even about his own family. Who was a great encouragement to him. In fact, they were probably the instruments by which Timothy even began to hear about Jesus Christ. And faith in Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 4, that you begin to see how close Paul and Timothy was. He says, I remember your tears. And it was probably the last time that they said goodbye to each other. And he says, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. But don't forget, Timothy, I recall your sincere faith that was alive first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And he's also then wanting to take Timothy back. He's not just wanting Timothy to remember... ...how much Timothy means to him, Paul... ...and how dearly beloved he is to Paul... ...and how Paul is praying for him continually... ...but then he wants to take Timothy back to some other key people in his life... ...to his grandmother and mother... ...and the investment that they made in his life... ...and how important it is that Timothy not give up and keep going... ...because he's trying to remind Timothy about all those people down through his life... ...and especially after he became a Christian who had some kind of investment in his life, who took time out of their life to invest in him and build into him and, and share their faith with him, two of them being his own grandmother and mother. And so he's saying, don't forget what they did for you, Timothy. You hang in there. You you need to remember that. And, you know, it's great if some of us in here can look back even on our home and our upbringing And thank God for a Christian home, a home where we grew up in and our mom and dad were both Christian and we grew up in that. I had that very fortunate privilege, but I know there's a lot of people that don't grow up in a home like that where mom and dad were Christians and from the very earliest ages we were hearing about Jesus and understanding about his love for us. But here's what we can take away from that. Instead of being discouraged that maybe you didn't grow up in a home maybe like Timothy's, I encourage folks to look at it this way. If you know the Lord, you may be that first link that God wants to start building a godly family legacy through you. So that maybe you are the first person in your family who is a Christian. But it can start with you. And even though you haven't looked back and had some necessarily long godly ancestry God is saying but you know what it can start with you and if you're faithful you can pass that baton of your faith to your children and to your children's children and 10 and 11 and 15 generations from now when we are long gone the impact of our lives and our faithfulness to Christ can still be felt generation after generation. And that's what Paul is reminding Timothy of as well. He's saying, Timothy, you can't give up. You can't throw in the towel because you're not just living for the moment. The impact that you're making there in Ephesus as the pastor, the impact you're making on your own family members and your own friends and your own acquaintances, is not just an impact that's going to last in your lifetime. It's an impact that can last For generations to come. And the same thing is true with every person in here. We need to realize every day that we wake up. When God uses us to impact other people's lives. That those lives and the lives that they touch. Last long after we are gone. And I think that's another reason why Paul brought up Eunice. And Lois. In this passage of scripture. For those of us who did grow up in a Christian home. Wow. I. I. I, know that I have not appreciated that as much as I should because that is a great, great blessing from the Lord. But notice the next thing that Paul says to Timothy. He says, I recall your sincere faith, and then he ends verse 5, and I'm sure that this sincere, genuine faith is in you. And Paul here again is doing what a good friend, a good mentor is doing. He He is putting confidence in what he sees in Timothy. Not so much that his confidence is in Timothy, but his confidence is is in what he knows Timothy knows and the relationship that he knows Timothy has with God. And therefore, in Paul's mind, I know that Timothy has within him, because he has this faith, everything he needs in order to keep on making progress and not throwing in the towel and keep on moving forward. I know it's in you, Timothy. I have observed your life. I have seen the way you have lived your life. I am as close to you as anyone else around you. If anybody knows you, Timothy, and knows the genuineness of it, the sincerity of it, it's me, and I believe it's there. That had to be a great encouragement to Timothy to hear those words, because let's face it, a lot of times when we struggle, we begin to doubt ourselves, we begin to... lose even what we had at one time, and it's good for God to bring other people into our life and remind us of what we have, what we can tap into, and what's been there all the time that maybe we're just having a hard time muddling through and struggling with at that point. That's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. Now I want to take a break from relationships for a moment because God then begins in verse 6 to talk about the resources Not just the relationships, but the resources. If you and I are going to be encouraged by God, we need to, first of all, allow God to encourage us. And one of the ways that God encourages us is through relationships. Through bringing people into our lives and letting them encourage us. Another way that God encourages us is through the resources that he has given to us. Those things in us that are... Blessings of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul says to Timothy in verse 6, Because of this, because I know your faith is genuine, I want to remind you to rekindle God's gift that you possess through the laying on of my hands. I believe that at Timothy's ordination, when Paul and others sort of laid hands of dedication and confirmation upon Timothy... That Paul was simply reminding Timothy and taking Timothy back to that point and saying, Listen, when you became a Christian and God called you into ministry, he gave you a supernatural enablement to be able to do that ministry. And Timothy, you don't need to ask God for anything else. You just need to tap into the gift that God already has given you. That's all you need to do. You need to stir it up. You need to rekindle it. It's that picture of the gift of God inside of us is like a fire. And, and, and Paul says all of us are in danger of sort of letting the fire go out. And Paul says every once in a while as Christians we've got to stoke the fire. We've got to put wood on that spiritual fire and get that gift burning again. And see, I believe the Bible teaches, though, this is not what our study is about today... But generally speaking, that for every Christian, that God gives us that supernatural gift, that supernatural enablement inside of us to be able to perform whatever he's called us to do. As I've said to you many times, and it was said to me many times, God will not call us to something that he will not equip us for. He will never ask you for what you don't have. All he's asking you and I to do is give him what we do have and let him multiply it and bless others. A great illustration of this is the little boy that had the five loaves and two fish. All he did was give Jesus what he had. And Jesus took what he had and multiplied it to bless others. That's what God wants to do with us. But he wants us to rekindle that gift, to stir it up, to arouse that gift, to awaken it and not let that spiritual fire within us begin to go out, or let somebody throw water on it, or even throw water on it ourselves. In fact, notice, he says in verse 7, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. I believe that Timothy was naturally a a timid person, uh, a backward person, one that wasn't going to get out there and sort of stick his, his neck out, if you will, and necessarily assert himself and and stand up. He was one that would rather sort of be in the back and just, you know, serve. But Paul is saying, Timothy, especially as a pastor, but even as a Christian, there are going to be times where God is going to call you to step up and take a stand, take a stand for Christ, take a stand for righteousness, do the right thing. You can't always sit back, Timothy. And, and if you say to God, but, but God, I'm naturally timid, I, I naturally have, have that fear, Paul is saying, but what God has gifted you with is able, and, and more than able, and more than adequate to overcome anything that would hold us back from performing what God is calling us to do, you see. That's why he says, you need power in your life, Timothy, God has given you the spirit of power. In fact, God has given every Christian the Holy Spirit of God to dwell within us. And we can never say to God, God, I don't have enough power. Because the Bible teaches that when we were saved, we were given the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We just need to learn to tap into that power through the Holy Spirit. To walk in the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. And allow that Holy Spirit power to flow through us. Love. I don't need to ask God for more love. The Bible says in Romans 5, 5 that when we got saved, God poured out his love to us by the Holy Spirit that was given to us. God's given us all the love that we'll ever need. We just need to tap into it. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, God's not given us a spirit of fear or timidity or cowardly to be cowards. He's called you to be courageous. He's given you the power to do it. He's given you the love to do it. To love God. To love others the way you need to. And he's given you the spirit of self-control. Because if we're going to impact other people's lives. Our lives can't be out of control. We have to by the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep our lives in control. Sober minded is another translation of this word. It simply means balanced and in control. And God's spirit helps us to do this. In fact. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, meekness, self-control, these are the fruits of the Spirit, or the fruit, excuse me, of the Spirit, singular, and God has given us through His Spirit the ability to bring things under control and not let things get out of control in our lives. So again, Paul is saying, Timothy, you have all the resources within you. You just need to tap into them at this point and realize what God has given you through Christ. Notice in verse 8, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, a prisoner for his sake, but by God's power, accept your share of suffering for the gospel. Timothy, yeah, you may have to suffer. Notice, even though Paul is writing this letter to encourage Timothy, he's being real. He's not trying to sugarcoat anything. He's not telling Timothy, Timothy, now in ministry and in the future, when I pass off the scene, there's not going to be any problems, there's not going to be any struggles, there's not going to be any suffering. No, Paul doesn't say that. But Paul says that with the suffering, God will match it with his power. And there will never be a time in your life, Timothy, where you're going through something that God will not give you the power, the grace, the mercy, the peace, the self-control to handle. Because God's resources are always sufficient to match whatever situation I find myself in. All I've got to learn to do is tap into them through the Holy Spirit of God. So, God's going to give me relationships in my life to encourage me, and He's given me resources in my life that should encourage me. Because I'm never going to find myself at a point in my life where. I'm going through something that God's not given me the resource to be able to handle. And that's a promise that you and I can take to the bank as Christians. That's why Paul uses this word ashamed. Notice this is a key word in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, don't be ashamed of me, of the Lord, of being a prisoner for his sake. Notice down in verse 12. In fact, he says, I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed. Then over in verse 16, he says, oh, by the way, this friend of mine, Onesiphorus, who's refreshed me often, he was not ashamed. And here's what the word ashamed means. It means in the end, when all is said and done, I will never get to that point and go, I was disgraced. I'm disappointed. I'm embarrassed that I chose to follow Jesus Christ. Paul says that day will never come. That day will never come. In fact, Paul was a great testimony to that. Paul knew that his life was about over. So here's a guy who now for many, many years has lived for Christ, suffered for Christ, suffered for the cause of the gospel, and young people like Timothy would be able to look eyeball to eyeball at Paul and say, okay, Paul, you've lived a Christian life. It's about over for you. Was all the risks and all the suffering... And all of that, was it worth it, Paul? Was it worth it to put Christ first in your life? Was there, was there, is there a point now that you are at the end of your life and your life is pretty much over and you can't do it over again? Do you have regrets about serving Christ? Do you have regrets about committing to your life to Christ? Are you disappointed, Paul? Are you disgraced? Are you embarrassed? And here's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Timothy, absolutely not. I can tell you, Timothy, I am so glad that I chose to follow Christ. I never regretted that a day in my life. And now that I'm at the end of my life, I'm even more glad that I gave my life to love Jesus Christ and to live for him. I have no regrets. I'm not disappointed at all. I'm not embarrassed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't consider myself disgraced in any way. And when I get to heaven, it's even going to be more evident that I am so glad, as Paul says in chapter 4, that I fought the fight, I finished my course, I kept the faith. There's laid up for me now a crown of righteousness that the righteous judge is going to give me on that day of evaluation and judgment. And Paul's trying to instill that in Timothy. Timothy, don't shrink back. Seize the opportunities that God has given you. Yeah, it's going to be tough every once in a while. But as the old hymn of the faith said, it will be worth it all one day. In fact, Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 8 verse 18 that I reckon that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us one day. Paul says, it will be worth it, Timothy. Hang in there. Keep moving forward. You don't need to be ashamed. You're not going to be disappointed that you did this. You're not going to be disappointed you gave your life to ministry to serve the Lord. You'll never be embarrassed about that. That's going to be something that the older you get, and then when you die and go to heaven, you're going to be so glad you lived your life for Christ. Notice he goes on to say, In verse, at the end of verse 8, he begins to again talk about this gospel, this wonderful gospel. And then in verse 9 and 10 and 11, he elaborates a little bit on this gospel. And what he's trying to remind Timothy of here is that great privilege that God has not only given Timothy, but given you and I to be a part of. You see, God doesn't need to use us, but he wants to use us. He wants to include human beings in what he is doing on this earth. And it is a great privilege to be a part of what God is doing. And so Paul is reminding Timothy of that, lest he forget it. He says, God, he is the one who saved us and called us with a holy calling, verse 9. Not based on our works, but on his own purpose and grace. Granted to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But now made visible through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. And Jesus has broken the power of death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. No wonder Paul was so confident as he faced death. Because he was saying, part of what Jesus gave me when he died for me and I came into a relationship with him is he took the sting out of death. That's what he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? He says, I don't need to fear death. If they're going to kill me so be it. As soon as they kill me, I'm going to heaven. To be absent from the body, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, is to be with the Lord. And just like a lot of people are scared of bees, and the only reason they're really scared of bees is not really because of the bee, it's because of the stinger. You take the stinger out of the bee, you're not going to be afraid of the bee anymore. Well, guess what the Bible says? Jesus took the stinger out of death, and that's why we don't need to be afraid of death anymore. Because Jesus took the stinger out. He's broken the power of death. He broke the power that Satan used by the fear of death, the writer of Hebrews says. and So we have life. We have immortality. And Paul is saying to Timothy, remember this privilege. Notice in verse 11, for this gospel I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. And he's basically reminding Timothy, Timothy, what a great privilege. What a great privilege to be part of something this fantastic, this eternal, that as we encourage other people, as we share Christ with others, as we impact their lives for Christ, we are involved in something much bigger than ourselves. That's what people are looking for today. Purpose in their life. That's why the purpose-driven life by Rick Warren just resonated with people because people are looking for purpose why am i here what can i get involved with that's going to last beyond myself what is something that i can get involved with that's bigger than myself paul's telling timothy the gospel the gospel the good news of jesus christ of what he's done for us and what he's doing for us that's what we can get involved with what a privilege so paul's saying don't forget yeah, great responsibilities. There's going to be hard times along the way at times. There's going to be suffering and all of that. It will be worth it, and it's a privilege to be a part of what God is doing. Notice then in verse 12, because of this, because it is such a great privilege, Paul says, this is why I suffer as I do, because in my mind, the privilege of being involved of, of what I am is worth any amount of suffering that I go through for it. Because I know. Don't miss this verse 12. The one in whom my faith is set. And I am convinced that he is able to protect what has been entrusted to me until that day. Just I'm going to break this down because this is so key. God encourages us through relationships. God wants us to grow to the point where we can be even like Paul where we can encourage others even when things aren't necessarily going right at times in our life. God not only encourages us through relationships, he encourages us through resources, through the things that he has given us and blessed us with when we became a Christian. Grace, mercy, peace. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, sound mind. He's given us supernatural enablement, that gift. And all we need to do is rekindle it and stoke it and put a couple pieces of wood on there every once in a while. Another thing that God does to encourage us is remind us about the privilege we have of being part of what God is doing. And realizing, Paul said, that if we give our lives for Christ, it will be worth it all. We will never be disappointed or ashamed or embarrassed when we get to heaven that we poured our lives into Christ and into ministering for Christ. But there's something else that I think may be the most important. That When it's all said and done, it comes down to my convictions. My personal convictions. Because God can bring all the relationships and friends and people into my life to try to encourage me. God can give me all the resources that he gives every Christian that all we have to do is tap in to encourage me. But if I truly don't believe it for myself, if I have not come to a point where I, have, I truly embrace it and believe it and am convinced of it, then it doesn't matter. And I cannot live off of someone else's convictions. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I know the one in whom my faith is set. Because notice, Paul's not saying... The reason I'm so stable, Timothy, and the reason I'm able to navigate this and end well, and the reason I'm able to be such an encouragement to you, even though I'm going through a pretty difficult time right now in my life, is not because I know this or that or this creed or this doctrine or this set of of do's and don'ts. It's because I know a person. I have a living, vibrant relationship with, with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I have walked with him through my life, I have come to a point where I just am convinced that he has my best interest at heart. And that's why my faith is set. You see, our faith is only as strong as the object we place it in. And as I've said many times, as I've taught over the years... Everyone lives by faith. Even if you're not a Christian, you live by faith because you have to entrust yourself at times to someone else and you have no control over it. The examples I use are going down to Sky Harbor and getting on an airplane, especially now. You got to trust that you're going to get there and your bags are going to get there. That's faith. You take your car to a mechanic. You're trusting that mechanic to fix your car. And to do it right and to not overcharge you. You go out to eat at a restaurant. You're trusting that your food is going to be prepared properly. And it, you know everything's going to be okay. We all entrust ourselves in our lives to other people. And God gets that. He understands that. But all he says in the Bible is this. Recognize that when you trust yourself to others, there's going to be times where they fail you. Or if you put your trust in something man-made Or earthly it's going to wear out and fail every once in a while but if you put your faith in me in me I will never fail you I never will and that's how Paul could get so solid and he's sharing that conviction with Timothy I believe to try to stir within Timothy Something very important that as Paul's getting ready to leave earth and go to heaven and get his rewards, it was very important that Timothy not be living off of Paul's convictions. It was very important that Paul not be living off of Lois, his mother's convictions, or Eunice, his grandmother's convictions, but that Timothy had come to a point where he felt the same way. That he could say, you're right Paul, I know the one in whom my faith is set or settled. And it's not because I know this or that, it's because I have this personal relationship with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, and I am convinced I have that conviction. I'm convinced that he's able to protect what has been entrusted to me until that day. That that was Paul's conviction. And Paul's saying, Timothy, if I leave this earth and you don't have that same conviction, yeah, there probably will be a day where That's why one of the most important things that we can do as parents, as Christian parents, is to encourage our children to develop their own convictions. And that's why for many Christians and even many Christian homes and churches and whatever, a lot of times there's a disconnect when the children leave home even of Christian parents. Because the only reason they went to church with their parents all those years is because That's what my parents wanted me to do. But that wasn't wasn't my conviction. That wasn't what I believed. So when I had a chance to sort of stand on my own or whatever, there was nothing there. There was no foundation there. And can I just say tonight that why I think this is so important is for every person in this room, we're all going to go through struggles in the days ahead. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be good times. And the one thing that's going to help us continue to navigate and keep on keeping on, keeping our focus where it needs to be, which is square on the Lord Jesus Christ, is the conviction that Paul had. But we've got to make it our conviction. We've got to truly believe what Paul has come to believe, that I know the one in whom my faith is set. And I have come to truly believe as I have walked with Christ that Jesus Christ has my best interests at heart and I'm just unflinchingly going to follow my shepherd, period. Period. Wow. That's conviction. No wonder Paul had such a stability in his life. No wonder as we look around the world today and see a lot of instability, and maybe we even wonder, why are people's lives so unstable? Could it be that we need to continue to encourage and challenge folks, even Christians, to keep walking with the Lord to the point where they truly come to the conviction of their faith that Paul came to? And can say with the same strength and assurance that I know the One in whom my faith is set, and I'm convinced that He is able. See, because for Paul, it may look on the outside like the, the gospel is hurting, <laughs> that the cause of Christ is 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 being defeated. I mean. God's main man is in prison, he's about ready to die, and what's going to happen to the Christian faith, and persecution is coming, and what's the church going to do? And Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm convinced God is on the throne, and he's able to keep his purposes moving forward, and his purposes will be realized in spite of what men do. The disobedience of people do not frustrate the purposes of God. And Paul has become convinced of that. So that's why then Paul gets to verse 13. And tells Timothy to hold to the standard of sound words that you heard from me and do so with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Hold. The word is echo in the Greek language. It's a pretty picturesque word. Basically what Paul is saying is, now Timothy, don't forget. i got to remind you of this. The reason you need to hang in there, Timothy, is not just because of the relationships and resources, and it'll be worth it all, and it's a great privilege, and because this has got to be your conviction, but because, again, don't forget, Timothy, what you are doing is for the next generation and the generation after that, and so you need to be faithful so that when your life is over, you can faithfully, throughout your life and at the end of your life, like me, pass that baton of Christian faith to the next generation, and be that echo. And very important in this verse also is the word standard or form. You see, God's word and God's standard does not change. And though people in every time of history and culture try to try to tweak God's word to match the culture, God's word is always the same for every generation. And God's standard will always be what God's standard is. And if we try to change God's standard and God's word to make it more appealing to our generation, then we aren't following what Paul even told Timothy, which is don't change the standard. Take the standard that has been passed off to you, Timothy, and make sure that you pass it faithfully on to others. Hold to that standard. You see, in the early church even, there was a standard of doctrine. That's how they could tell who were the false teachers from the true teachers of the word and the false prophets from the true prophets of God, because there was a standard there. Literally, we could use the word prototype. God gave the early church a prototype and said to them, here's the prototype. You be faithful to pass this faithfully on to the next generation. So that each generation had the same word. So that they had that standard from which to live and find Christ and live for him. And the standard will not change. And Paul is saying, hold to that standard so that you can faithfully pass the baton on to the next generation. And again, he reminds Timothy, Timothy, you're not going to have to do this on your own. Notice he says, because Timothy may even be in his own mind already saying, how do I do that? How do I stay so faithful? How do I not crumble under the pressure of wanting to, you know, not upset people? He says, you will hold to the standard with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He says, The faith that you need, the love that you need, whatever you need, Timothy, God will give you the resource to stay strong and keep that standard where it needs to be so that you can faithfully say, I have passed that standard on to the next generation. Now, what they do with it, that's their responsibility. But at least, Timothy, you and I have passed on the standard to them. And we've done it faithfully. That's why he says in verse 14, protect that good thing entrusted to you through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. That God had given Timothy a trust, a stewardship. And Paul says, Timothy, protect that, guard it. And again, but Timothy, you don't have to guard it on your own. You don't have to protect it on your own. God has given you the supernatural Holy Spirit of God to help you guard and protect what he has given to you so that you don't have to fret about, well, I I can't do this. Remember, whatever God asks of us, he gives us the resources to be able to do This is a great encouragement that Paul's trying to remind Timothy of here. And then as he closes this out, in verse 15, 16, 17, and 18, he comes back full circle to where we started with, with the importance of relationships. The importance of relationships. One of the things that Paul reminds us of is that for many of us, as we look over our lives, there will be that... Group of what we call the faithful few, who are there with us through it all. Because let's face it, all of us have probably experienced the pain of having people who used to be a part of our lives, who who are no longer a part of our lives. They didn't stand with us through thick and thin. Maybe they were there in the good times, but they weren't there in the bad times, and when the bad times came, they split. Paul knows what that's like. Notice in verse 15, he says, Timothy, you know, you heard that everyone in the province of Asia deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. And we don't know a lot about these guys except the fact that Timothy must have known these were two guys that... Everybody would have thought, well, if anybody's going to stick by Paul when he really needs somebody, it's going to be them. We've all had people like that in our life, right? We thought if there was somebody that was going to stick by us, surely it was going to be them, right? They were going to stick by us. Sometimes not. But don't ever forget, for every one or two people in your life that don't hang in there with you and stick with you, God's got other people that he wants to bring into your life, to be an encouragement to you. And notice, one of those people is mentioned here, beginning in verse 16. Paul, in fact, prays, May the Lord grant mercy to the family of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my imprisonment. First of all, I want to go back to the beginning of that verse. Paul's asking God to grant his family Mercy. Why? Isn't Onesphorus the one who actually ministered to Paul? Yeah, but we all know... When you and I are ministering and serving and refreshing and encouraging others... That means that people in our lives have to be making a sacrifice too. And all the while, while Onesphorus had left his home and his family to be an encouragement to Paul... Onesiphorus' family was also serving the Lord because they were willing to let Onesphorus go for a while in order to go and minister to Paul. And so it reminds us that really serving and ministering to others and getting involved in other people's lives is a team effort. It's a family effort. It doesn't just involve one. If a husband wants to serve the Lord, His wife has to be right there in some way supporting as well. If a wife wants to serve the Lord, the husband needs to be there at some point as well, or it can get pretty heavy, pretty discouraging. It takes a team. It takes a willingness to let that person go for a while in order for God to use them to encourage others. And that's a sacrifice on their part. And Paul recognized that. I think that's why he asked for mercy for the family of Onesiphorus. The name Onesphorus means profitable. Profitable. Wow. You know, it's not just having people in your lives, it's having the right kind of people. Because we all know that there are certain people that can come into our lives that are a drain on us, not an encouragement. We spend five minutes with them and we leave going, oh my golly. You know. I need to find somebody now like Onesiphorus so that I can get refreshed to get recovered from that. And that's why we've got to be very careful in our lives, even in ministry, that we balance allowing the very what has been called draining people into our lives and balance that out with allowing the very resourceful, encouraging, refreshing people into our lives. Because if all we do is minister for Christ and allow people to drain, 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 and we're not getting refreshed, then guess what? Just like Timothy, we're going to begin to get discouraged, we're going to get frustrated, we may even get bitter, we may become like Martha and get more wrapped up in ministry than in the master of the ministry, and our ministry may become more important than the master, and we can get our priorities all out of whack. And that all happens because we're not allowing ourselves to be refreshed. That's why I told our staff. I said, guys, if, if you can come on Tuesday night, come. Because ministers need ministered to. People who are in service need ministered to as well. You and I can't keep pouring ourselves out to others and not allow ourselves to be ministered to and refreshed by God. And many times when God wants to refresh us, he will use people. Just as he did in Paul's life. Because notice Paul goes on to say, He often refreshed me. Literally in the original language, it means to cool again. It's like how we get the phrase, They're a breath of fresh air. That's exactly what Paul is saying of Onesphorus. That when Onesiphorus came into my life, He continually was a breath of fresh air. Man, when I got around him, I just... I just felt better. I just felt like I could face the day. And can we? Paul, the great apostle Paul. Many people hold him up as maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived. And Paul is saying here, I continually needed to be refreshed by somebody else as well. See, we all need refreshed. I don't care how spiritual you are, how long you've been a Christian how much of the Bible you know, how long you've been in ministry, every Christian needs refreshed. Every Christian needs those people in their lives that are brought by God that continually cool them and are a breath of fresh air and encourage them. As I've said many times, I have never met any Christian or any human being in 46 years on this planet who came up to me and said, Jeff, you don't need to encourage me anymore. I have all the encouragement I'll ever need to the, end, to the day I die. So if, if somebody else needs encouragement, you know, send that encouragement to them. But no, you don't need to encourage. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm good. I've never met anybody like that. And one of the reasons I've never met anybody, it's not biblical. Because the Bible basically teaches we all need continual refreshment. All of us. All of us and many times god will use people like Onesiphorus was for Paul to be that refreshment again application i'd like us to leave here tonight in just a few moments asking the lord lord who is it give me somebody specific give me a name give me a face give me somebody specific this week that I can come alongside of like Onesphorus did Paul and I can refresh them cuz it's not like we don't have Christians out there that don't need refreshed and encouraged. I'm sure every one of us in this room tonight can say, yeah, I know of somebody that could use some encouragement. And maybe Many times in the Bible, when we begin to pray, Lord, encourage others, many times God's answer comes back, and I'm going to send you to do that. Because many times we're the answer to our own prayer. Read the book of Ruth. Boaz kept praying, God, bless Ruth. Bring some encouragement into Ruth's life. And God goes back, Boaz, guess what? You're going to marry her. You're going to be her encouragement. Oh, okay. So be careful what you pray for. Because God may ask you to be the answer to your prayer for somebody else. You want them to be encouraged? God may come back like he has may Say, Jeff, I want you to be their encouragement. And then secondly, all of us need to be encouraged. All of us need to be refreshed. And you may have come here tonight, Go on. One of the reasons you came is, boy, I hope God will encourage me tonight because I need it. I'm down. I'm discouraged. It's been a rough couple of weeks, couple of months, maybe even a couple of years for some of you here. I'm going to ask you to start praying specifically that, first of all, that your heart would be open to God encouraging you, because God wants to encourage you. Will you allow him to, and second, that you would specifically pray for God to bring the right kind of people into your life for you to be encouraged. See, I believe God will because God wants to encourage you. He's the God of encouragement, the Bible says. And so it's just a matter of asking God to bring those people into my life and then be aware of them when they come and allow them to encourage. See, a lot of people in ministry and service, it's a pride thing We get all hepped up and we get all psyched and, you know, the adrenaline when we're encouraging others, but we don't like to be encouraged. Somehow that's above us. And yet we've got to remind ourselves there's nobody above needing encouragement. Take Paul, for instance. And we need to allow God to use other people to encourage us. That is not a sign of weakness. That is a sign of wisdom. For the Christian. And if you don't have several people in your life that continually encourage you and refresh you, begin to ask God specifically that he would send them into your life. I believe he will. Notice also, verse 17. We'll wrap this up. When he, Onesphorus arrived in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me, which implies... That sometimes, even when we want to be an encouragement and refreshment to others, it's not always easy. It wasn't like Onesphorus, prays to God, God, I want to encourage Paul. And so God just sort of like, you know, so once Onesphorus gets to Rome, it's just like there's these arrows pointing at Paul's house of arrest. Here's where Paul is. <laughs> Find him, you know, eat at Joe's type of thing. no. There were probably a couple reasons. One, I believe there's some good evidence that the Romans did not want Paul to have contact a lot with people from the outside that could encourage him. And so I believe that they were moving him around and trying to hide him, if you will, from encouragement. And secondly, as we've already known, even the Christians, many of them were like starting to freak out about being identified with Paul and so there may have even been some instances where a lot of the Christians in Rome knew where Paul was being held, but they weren't going to say anything because they didn't want to be implicated. They didn't want to be identified with Paul because Paul was this radical who was giving his life for Christ and the gospel. And, you know, I don't mind being a follower of Christ, but let's not get too radical about this. So I'm sort of backing up from Paul. I'm ashamed. So there could have been a couple good reasons why Onesiphorus had a hard time finding Paul. But it also reminds us that many times when we want to be an encouragement and refreshment to others, we've got to have a little tenacity. We've got to be a little persistent. It might not happen just so easy. They might not welcome it right away. We might think God wants us to go over here and refresh and encourage this person. And the first time we try to, they may put up a wall. Don't get discouraged, because to me, if God truly wants you to encourage and refresh, you're not going to get them off your heart. God's going to continue to to want you to go back and, and, and keep trying to encourage them and refresh them. So be persistent. Sometimes it takes persistence and tenacity, just like it did with Onesiphorus to Paul. And then notice Paul ends by saying, May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know Timothy very well all the ways he served me in Ephesus. The last thing I want to leave you with today is this. And this isn't the first time that Paul has made this statement, even in chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 12, he made the same statement about that day. And the other thing that kept Paul going and kept Paul motivated and kept Paul encouraged was he didn't get so caught up in this day. He was caught up in a sense in that day. Because Paul realized there's coming a day where as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to stand before Jesus, the one who died for me. And I'm going to give an account for how I lived for him and how I served him and how I ministered for him. And I want to make sure that I keep that in mind as I live every day. That I'm not just living for this day or the next day or next week, but I'm living for that day. The day that I see Jesus. The day that I lay my eyes on the one who loved me more than words can even express. And I want to live in such a way that when I see Jesus, Jesus will say to me, well done, good, and faithful servant. That's what Paul lived for. And that's what Paul was pointing Timothy to in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He wanted to encourage Timothy. There was too much at stake here going on for Timothy not to hang in there and keep on moving forward and allowing God to use his life to touch other people's lives there's too much at stake today God doesn't want any of you to drop out to get so discouraged that You stop moving forward with God and allowing God to use your life to impact other people's lives. There's too much at stake. and God is saying tonight, let me refresh you. Let me encourage you. Let me strengthen you. Whether it's through relationships, the resources, the reminders that Paul has given, but let me do it. So that you and I can keep on keeping on for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. God, I'm just asking tonight that you would encourage each of these folks right where they need to be encouraged. You know them. You know what they're going through. You know what they're thinking about. You know what they're dealing with. You know what's on their heart. You know what they're praying about. God, you know us all inside and out. And you know exactly where we need encouragement and what kind of encouragement we need. So I'm just asking tonight, as only you as God can do, that you would encourage us all and help us to leave here, Lord, feeling like we have been Blown on with the breath of God tonight. That we have been refreshed by the Holy Spirit of God. And that we can leave here a little bit more revived and refreshed. And maybe we walked in after a long hot and hot day here in the desert today. God, give us streams in the desert these next couple of weeks. As we continue to explore this great book of 2 Timothy. And bless these folks tonight encourage them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.